This is episode 136 with Shivani Gupta. G'day legends and welcome to Your Life of Impact, where we connect with world-class athletes and coaches, health experts and enthusiasts, inspiring entrepreneurs and community leaders, all to teach you how to tap into your inner excellence. I'm your host, Brett Robbo, and I'm extremely grateful you're joining us today on your impactful journey. Oh, yeah. This is a brilliant episode that I took a lot of value from because it's helped me understand human behavior from a bit of a different perspective and create some clarity on passions and the alignment of passions with values, goals, and beliefs. Shivani Gupta is a global speaker, author of eight books, and a mentor for working women. She's an entrepreneur who runs five businesses, serves on several boards, and is a mother of two kids, Om and Shanti. That's their names. <laughs> and it wasn't until reading this part of Shivani's bio after this interview that it clicked to me that she has named her children Om and Shanti. So Om Shanti is a mantra or a greeting or a parting solution that's used in meditation and yoga practice and Indian religions. Om is believed to be the sound of the universe, the sound of the universe, referred to as the cosmic vibration. So you might know it as Om. (laughs) And Shanti is Sanskrit word that means peace or also translated as calm or bliss. What thoughtful and beautiful names. Shivani is also what I'm going to term a passionista. She's a globally recognized expert in passion and that's the main topic of conversation in today's episode. Now don't worry, this isn't a chat about us suggesting that you go out and simply find your passion. Shivani has a great model to help you understand your seven areas of passion and how you can prioritize them to minimize guilt and shame and suffering in your life and create clarity and actually start achieving your goals by aligning them with your true passions. Let me just read this little bit of a blurb about Shivani from her website. It says, I'm a self-confessed nerd. I graduated as an electric engineer, which is so nerdy, and then did an MBA from the Australian Graduate School of Management. I worked in corporate roles and got to work with amazing people. Despite earning great money, I felt unfulfilled. I knew I had to feed my bills and my soul. In 2002, I started my own business, which is an education business through speaking, mentoring, and authoring. Since then, I've launched several other wellness businesses. Building other businesses has allowed me to learn how to build and empower teams. I currently have 42 people in my team who are fun and challenging to lead. I live by simple rules. Be authentic. Love fiercely. People that hurt you are your teachers. Forgive and let go. Live passionately. Live as if it was your last. Now, be sure to stay tuned till the end of this chat, right near the end of this episode, to hear the link between Shivani's top core passions and some of her greatest adversities, which actually now I realize link back to one of her simple rules. You will understand what I mean when you hear that. Okay, I think you're going to get a lot of value from this episode. So now let's hear from the legend herself, Shivani Gupta. So Shivani, you say that your why, so the reason you do what you do is because you want people to be more grateful and passionate about their work. I'm super intrigued to know why this is your why. Oh, that's such a great question, Brett. I spent a lot of years in the corporate world and one of the things that I noticed constantly were that people were rocking up to work and not really loving what they did. People were in these incredible relationships And they were not really loving those relationships. People had these incredible families and they weren't loving them. And I noticed that 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 just wasn't the case for people in the corporate world. It was when you're walking at traffic lights and noticing it. And I guess I had a really amazing epiphany traveling through Nepal 17 years ago 
where I realized that my life had a bigger, deeper purpose. And part of that was to be joyous and be passionate about whatever I do, whether it's cleaning the dishes or taking the bins out or hanging out with my kids or my partner. And once I started to get a taste of that, I really wanted to share that with the world as much as I could. How much of this work and and this sort of view stems from your upbringing because I believe that you were brought to Australia at 11 years old and there's obviously some challenges that you go through in life in that regard to shape your perspective around the world. Look, very much so. The culture that I come from in India, which is pretty amazing in so many ways, probably not the most culture that is known for having empowered young women speak up about what their real thoughts and feelings are about the world. It's still got some of that culture where a lot of the women keep their voices to themselves. What, what I did have was I've had an extraordinary mentor in my grandfather and my father from a very early age that despite being brought up in India till the age of 11 before we moved to Australia, always said, Shafani, if you've got a view, we want to hear it. If you want to achieve something, you have equal rights as your brother, as, as me, as your father or your grandfather and the rest of the world. And Brett, that had a you know, very profound impact, not that I realised that at the age of five or six or even 15 as a teenager, but as I, as I got older, I realised that, that that thought process where they really helped me believe that I could be the same as any other human on the planet really, really helped. And I guess then moving to Australia, even though that was filled with lots of challenges, including racism and sexism, as I moved into different organisations, that belief system was inherently there, which was amazing to be able to go, okay, whatever is happening, I am the same. I have the same rights as my brothers and all the men in the world, as well as the women, as well as the wealthy, as well as the impoverished. That's so empowering. That's beautiful. It, and I like to hear you say that your great mentors were your family members too. I think people can get a little bit confused with uh, mentors in their lives and how to actually take value from them. I hear a lot of things coming through about the, the empowerment of women too, which we're going to talk about a lot, but it's obviously shaping a lot of the, the work that you do at the moment. But before we unpack more of your brilliance and dive into that, I just want to say Shivani, Welcome to Your Life of Impact. Thank you so much. This is very exciting. And we were talking about it offline, but we've been connected through a mutual friend who is one of the most beautiful, grateful and passionate souls that I've been lucky enough to know in my lifetime. And she was actually episode number one on this podcast, and that's the beautiful Katrina Webb. Oh, she's incredible. I've known Katrina for 20 years now, and she's one of the most authentic beautiful, smart, loving people I know. She's amazing. And when she suggested to me that I must speak to you, I went, absolutely. We, we do that where we've said, you've got to go and read that book or you've got to go and speak to this person. And then we usually follow that lead and that intuition of the other person because we know that it'll be for our benefit, but also, you know, benefiting other people. Yeah, absolutely. Likewise, when Katrina says you've got to connect with this person, I, I it's full trust, <laughs> full alignment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, I'm addicted to gratitude, Shivani, and it's been a staple in my lifestyle for years now. And I, I know the work that Dr. Dr. Joe Dispenza, I know you're familiar with his work. I know his I work and the team from the HeartMath Institute that I've studied with, they have an abundance of scientific evidence to prove that when we're in a state of gratitude, we actually change our internal physiology and we decrease our disempowering stress hormones and we increase our empowering, helpful, healthy hormones. So it makes sense to me that I'm addicted to gratitude because it makes me feel so good. (laughs) And maybe after learning from you today, I'll also be addicted to passion. But I want to know, how do you actually inspire people to become more grateful and passionate about their work? What is it that you actually do to draw this out of them and give them the belief, I guess? Absolutely, Brett. I find that, you know, the word passion's been almost a little bit overused at times. You know, when we look at the word passion, it started off, I guess, for the very early forms of it, the passion of Christ. And I don't really want to have a religious conversation here because probably I'm not very religious. But the essence of that was that, you know, that there would be suffering if you did not follow your passion. And to me, that's really important when we look at this word that now we read everywhere and see on water bottles and see in organisations and people talking about having more passionate people and having work that's been produced, you know, with passion and purpose, that if we don't get very clear about what our passions are and live according to those passions, 
then we feel that suffering. We feel that, that something isn't quite right, that there's something imbalanced. And so what I feel my work is about is really helping people identify, you know, not what their parents' passion was, not what their culture's passion was, not what their partner's passion is, not what society is telling them what their passion should be, but getting very clear in terms of what their passions are, particularly the top three passions out of the seven areas that we'll dive a little bit more into, so that when they get clarity on what their top passions are, then setting goals that are in alignment with your passion is such a smarter and more effective way of living an authentic life. Whereas I know a lot of people that set goals in their life, but when there is not an alignment with their passions, those are the goals that are very hit and miss that people achieve or really, really fail miserably in. And I always say to people, if we can get your passions really clear about who you are and where you want to be, then setting goals in alignment with that are really important. And we can be really grateful. Like I love the fact that you said you're addicted to, you know, gratitude. That is such a beautiful way of putting it. If you're going to be addicted to something, be addicted to gratitude. And when I speak to people about that, you know, often what I've read about gratitude, and I love Joe Dispenza in some of his work and the work around gratitude generally around the planet at the moment. I also think you have to be grateful for the not so good things that have happened. You know, I can be really grateful for a beautiful coffee that I had this morning. And I can be really grateful for the hugs that I got in bed this morning from my children. But I also really need to be grateful for the things that suck, that aren't good. I really need to be grateful for that employee that has not treated me very well. Because the lessons that will come out of that, if I really take a moment to reflect on what I'm learning about that, is what's going to really shift me being really grateful. In fact, for me, I actually learn more from the things that go wrong in my life and working out a way which I have to dig often pretty hard at and have a few tears about and swear a bit at and then go, aha, now I see what that beautiful thing that came out of it. So to be able to have gratitude for, you know, having the racism or gratitude for having suffered abuse as a child or gratitude for a relationship not working out, they're the things that have really brought more meaning and more passion to who I am rather than the little things that have worked really well. I love that you say that and I, I completely 110% agree. And for example, right now I've got a six month old bub who is uh, for the first four months had a lot of colic and reflux and didn't sleep much and, you know, still having challenges with that. And it's at times where I'm deep in and sleep deprived and emotional epicenter is firing. And I just think I'm so grateful that I'm experiencing this challenge, this bloody difficult challenge right now because I know I'm going to get stronger for it. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's also, you know, their way of adjusting into the world, right? You know, I heard a beautiful teacher once say that I think babies come out of three months a bit too early because they don't do much for the first three months. <laughs> and it's almost like you're meant to have a 12 month pregnancy. And just the thought of that, I'm like, I don't fucking think so. Um, <laughs> I don't want to carry a child for another three months, but it's um, you know, but it's true. And I had read if it helps and maybe it won't, but um, um, my husband's away for a couple of days and our kids take turns to, you know, who gets to sleep in the king bed next to me. And um, when it's my son who's nine, I tell you, he is such a wriggler. I ended up with an arm on my face overnight. And in the end, I actually switched beds. I went and slept next to my daughter at about 3am this morning. And sometimes it changes and sometimes it doesn't, unfortunately, with beautiful children. And, <laughs> and are you um, grateful for that scattered sleep last night? <laughs> look, the, the, the sleep I'm not that grateful for. But when he came in this morning with a cup of tea... Um, and he said, I couldn't find you in bed this morning. So I did, I keep you up and I've made you a cup of tea. God, that brings tears to my eyes. So the lack of sleep, not really. Um, <laughs> haven't, haven't quite got to gratitude with that yet, to be honest. Um, but when he has that realisation, knowing that he's still got to touch me, because he's always been a touchy baby the day he was born, he cried in the crib in the hospital and I put him next to me and he'd fall asleep. So the fact that he had that realisation and made me a beautiful cup of tea and brought that in and then we sat up and had a chat about his day and had that cup of tea. That was that I'm really grateful for. Oh, beautiful. There you go. And when you shift back to, like you were saying, to be grateful for what sucks in life because you learn more from that, I say to people, that's a challenge. Like that's actually make that part of your challenge because we grow stronger from challenges. So when things go wrong, try and find what you're grateful for 
within that to strengthen that gratitude muscle. And I also educate people that when we're in a state of gratitude, we can't be in a state of resentment at the same time. We can't be in a state of anger or disappointment when we're in that state of gratitude. You can definitely jump between each and choose to shift from one to the other. But when we're in that state of gratitude and we know all the physiological changes and the benefits that are happening, the more that you choose to do that, the stronger you grow that muscle. That is so beautiful. It's true, isn't it? You can't be one. You can't be, if you're one, you can't be the other. That is so, you know, if you're in, if you're in fear, you can't be in love. And if you're in gratitude, you can't be in resentment. I love that, Brett. That's beautiful. I've written that down. <laughs> I could go all day about gratitude. I've got some really good games too. And one is when uh, people, you know, when you got to speak to someone on the phone about from a credit card company or someone that's helping you on the other end of the line. And sometimes they're, they're not that helpful. They try to be, but in your mind, you might be thinking, well, it didn't really help. Or sometimes they might be helpful, but at the end of the conversation, they'll always say, is there anything else I can help you with? And regardless of whether they've solved the problem for me or not, I always say, yeah, there is actually. If you could tell me what you're most grateful for, that would be awesome. And wow, I love that. <laughs> and it's good for me too because as much as I work on not being frustrated in life, sometimes I get a little bit frustrated. And when even if I'm frustrated through a conversation, I'll still always finish with that in a kind way. And it's, it's so amazing. I've spoken about it a few times, but I've had people on the other end of the line crying because they start to tell me what they're most grateful for and they're going to see their families for the first time in a long time. They've been saving to get their families over. And then they thank me and say, you know, thank you. Thank you so much. And I don't thank me. I didn't do anything. It just draws that gratitude out of them. Oh, that's beautiful. I might try that at Woolies or Coles next time. And they say, you know, how's your day and what are you up to? And might ask that question, Brett. You've got me thinking now. I really like that. I really like that because it's a nice way to end that too. Absolutely. Definitely. The more gratitude we can have in the world, the better. (laughs) Now let's shift gears a little bit because as I said, I could talk about gratitude all day and I might come back into it, but you are, can I say a guru or a passion, passion guru or a passion expert, a passion, a passionist. (laughs) Let's talk. A guru is a a bit too much, right? Because people (laughs) then put you up on a pedestal. I'm definitely not a guru. I think I have a, I have a view of the world, Brett, in terms of you know, some simple ways of and putting things in place that might help people. And I just I always think it's an offering. You know, what you do, what I do, what Katrina does, all we can do is have an offering to people. And if that resonates with them, they'll take that and, and implement that in their lives. And, and if they do, that's, that's great. Beautiful. And you mentioned there before that there was the different, uh, what was it, the seven different areas of passion or the seven different keys that we can be passionate about. Can you explain more about that? Yeah, absolutely. I found that when I started to look at, you know, when you say to people, do you live passionately? Are you passionate about it? You know, sometimes they'd go, oh yeah, I love that. And then you talk to them about certain things and there was no energy. There was nothing in their voice where they say, I'm really, you know, passionate about that. Oh, not really. Oh yeah. I mean, it's good. So when I come across people, when I talk to them about their work and there's no energy and you say to them, why do you do what you do? And they say, oh, you know, pays the mortgage, pays the bills, pays whatever. You can see that passion is, work is not one of their top three passions. So I wanted to develop something that became a very simple framework that we could share and we could talk about with people. And I started to, I'm a bit of a self-confessed nerd. And so I love studying and I love reading books and I love going and doing courses. I've heard Joe Dispenza speak a couple of times and I love going and learning from people who have dedicated their lives in writing books and running courses and programs around that. And I noticed that people talked about values and they talked about passions and then they talked about different ways to be able to make things work in their life. And for me, I, I thought, you know what, it doesn't matter what people call it. But really, if I could simplify and come up with a model that was you know, there was only seven areas of passion, and if they could identify what are they most passionate about, what are they least passionate about, and almost work out a bit of an order to say, I'm most passionate about this and least passionate about that, maybe that's the place that we start. And so the seven areas that I've got it down to is your work. And if it's your own business, you might replace the work with business. Your health, and sometimes people call that their body, their mind. And sometimes people call that their learning, their money. Sometimes people might call that their wealth, their family. The family one's generally pretty universal, but sometimes people say, it's not my direct family, it's not my blood family, but it's people who I consider to be really close. It's our friends and often social and social media may fit into that. 
And I've used the word spiritual, as I shared earlier. Um, the word religion doesn't resonate with me, but the word spiritual resonates with me. But you could replace that for religion or you could relate, replace that with philosophies in terms of how you wish to live. So those seven areas, I believe, are the, the seven areas of life that you may be passionate or dispassionate about and then getting people really clear about how they could work out what their top three passions are and what their bottom four passions are. And is it important to, is the goal to try and then once you work out what your top three are and your bottom four are, is it the goal then to make you more passionate about each area or do we then just continue to nourish the areas that we are most passionate about? What, what have you found working with people to help them create? Very that? good question. Yeah, really good question, Brett. I think there's three uh, points, three actions that you can take once you've identified your top three. And your top three are not what I desire. So, for example, if you desire to be really healthy but you're not really healthy, it could be that health currently is number seven. It's right at the bottom of your passions. And so when you, the first thing that you do when you look at that is you, the question you ask is, am I happy with my list of top three passions? And if you're not, then the first thing that you want to do is work out what is it that's not working and how do I bring that up? Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing that you want to do. So you look at what the status quo is. What is my currently my passions? What do I talk about all the time? Where does my energy go? What am I really interested in? What do I talk about with enthusiasm? What do I do when people don't even have to ask me? And what takes all these external motivators I kind of want to do and I don't get enough time? You know, for example, of mind and learning, I know lots of people that buy a bunch of books and they never read them. So their intention is that mind and learning is going to be in their top three passions but it isn't because they keep buying the books, but they never action to actually read it. So if they go, I'm not really happy with it. You know, I want to, I want to really improve my mind and learning. My mind and learning is sitting at five at the moment. I really want to bring that up. Then one of the things I do is I show them really practical, simple ways of putting their attention on that and how to bring that up. You can't just say, right, okay, I'm going to bring that up. There's actually some dedicated work needed to retrain your brain, to be able to retrain your habits, to be able to bring that up. And then we speak about how to bring that up. Once they're happy with that list, and if they want to move more than one thing at a time for about six months, Brett, my challenge to them is you can't. If you want to master something in your life, you don't change your passion list around every day or every week or even every month. You want to leave it for a minimum of six months. I leave my passion list for the year, and I usually on the first first of January, first day of the year, reset my passions for what it's going to be for that 12-month period. And then you want to stick to that list. You want to master it. And then the second thing I would get them to do is start to, once they've got a list that they're happy with, is really start to put their goals down. What are my goals going to be? And it starts off with asking simple things like, if that's in my passion now, it's in my top three, I'm going to say more yeses to opportunities that rock up in those top three. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to start saying more no to the things that are in my bottom four. Because I've been saying yes to a whole bunch of stuff, but I've only got a limited amount of time. And I need to start saying more yeses to this stuff at the top three and more no's to the stuff at the bottom three. And then I start to, I guess, divide up my energy, divide up my time in things that I'm more passionate about. It's not like, say, for example, money is number seven on your passion list. It's not that you can't, you're not just going to ignore that and not pay your bills, but you might just go, you know what, I spent all this time worrying about it, thinking about it, but I do nothing about it. And when I look at it for the next 12 months, it's not even in my top three passions. So I'm going to be okay with not being brilliant at it. I'm going to be okay that I'm going to suck at that a little bit and not try and perfect that and not master it. But I am going to master these three and I'm going to say yes to a heap of things that are in my top three. What are your top three passions? My top three passions for this year, very easy. My work is my number one passion which is often very difficult for me to say as an ethnic woman whose every lineage in the women in my family have all stayed at home and looked after their children irrespective of having degrees or work opportunities. And I'm the first woman in my lineage to say, I'm actually going to run a business and I'm going to work for myself. And I went back to work when my kids were six weeks old. And that challenges a lot of people. And that's not to say that I work 70 hours a week. I maintain everything in about 32 to 33 hours a week. I work some weird odd hours around my kids, but work is absolutely my number one passion. My number two passion is my family. And because it's that close second, that's often where a lot of the debate arises around work-life balance. You know, I don't have enough time and energy to do that. So when I'm at work, I am very dedicated to my work. I'm not thinking about my kids. And I'm with my family. I'm very dedicated to not thinking about my work. 
and not being on my devices, et cetera, all the time. And my third passion is mind and learning. I, I shared that with you a bit earlier. I'm a little bit of a nerd. Mind and learning has moved uh, year to year from three to four to five. It's never been number seven right at the bottom, but it often sits there. But for, for this year, it sits at number three, which means that I dedicate certain hours of my week to reading books, learning, you know, hearing podcasts and dedicating myself to learning something new, but also maintaining my learning. So that's how you nourish the top three. So what do you do about the other four? Like you said before, you obviously don't neglect them, but how, how would we then get that so-called quote unquote balance with the other areas as well? Well, look, a really good one for me is health. I'm not super healthy, but I'm not super sick. I wish I was a dress size less, but I don't dedicate enough energy and time to do that. And so that's been one, and I know this happens for quite a few women and for men, but for me, this was a huge struggle in my 20s. You know, I constantly wanted to be lighter, thinner, more attractive, but I had all these other passions that kind of overtook it. And it caused a lot of guilt for me. So, you know, there's a lot of guilt that I find I experience, but across people that I work with experience where they go, Giovanni, I want to be healthier, but I kind of run out of time. And so if it's on your top three, well, let's dedicate more time to it. But for me, health is not number seven, but health sits at number five this year. And so that means that occasionally I am going to have an extra glass of red wine and I am going to order a side of hot fries next to my toasted sandwich. I don't overdo it. I don't eat pizza every night. I don't have alcohol every night. But I know that as a result of that being number five on my passion list, I'm not going to be able to master it. I'm not going to be that dress size shorter. And what I've do, done is done a lot of work on my mind to make sure that I don't feel guilty about it constantly, that I don't have this love-hate relationship with my body that a lot of us do. So I speak about that really openly to say that in the last three or four years, health has not featured in the top three. And it's not because I'm not driven and it's not because I'm lazy. It's just that I've got other passions that I want to master. So I still manage a pretty good weight. I still manage pretty good health. I manage that I have at least two, maybe three alcohol-free nights. I make sure that I don't overeat all the time, but I just don't have this guilt and mastering relationship with health that many other people do. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's beautiful. And looking through and hearing you speaking about all this, I think it's great because the model sounds like it's almost kind of like a personality test, what they show us. So it can help us understand ourselves or our family or our work colleagues, people around us. It can help us understand them better. And one thing that I'm always trying to practice in my life is to suspend judgment. So suspend judgment of self and of others. And I feel like when we know ourselves at a deeper level, and so do the people who we choose to spend time with, it's much easier for us to suspend judgment. And just hearing you talking about that, because as as we wrote these, as I wrote these down when you were talking about them, I thought, well, easy, my number one is health. I know that. <laughs> it was really easy for me. And then family would come in a very close second. And then when I heard your top three, I thought, I wonder where health fits in. And to hear you explain why, I'm I'm grateful that you shared that. Thank you. I'm sure there's a lot of people listening, like you said, who can resonate with that, who might actually create a lot of fear and worry and doubt within themselves around that passion. And and Brett, when you look at it, that's where that's what causes us the issues, right? There's judgment when you're an employer and you have people and work is not in their top three passions and you really dislike your worker leaving at a particular time to go to the gym. Well, guess what? It's not that they're not dedicated to doing your work. It's just that they've got other passions that are higher up than work for you. So a lot of judgment comes in in the workplace, for example, by either owners of businesses or bosses where they go, gee, his or her work should be higher. Well, guess what? It's not. People are always going to live by their passions, not your organisations and not the other individuals. So if we could suspend more of that judgment in our workplace and in our lives, how much better would it be? You know, partnerships where if one person in their number one passion is money and wealth creation, fantastic. But if the other partner doesn't and then they're judging that person for saying, wow, they're always talking about money. Well, guess what? It's their number one passion. So if they had permission to do that and be themselves and be their authentic selves, because they're leading a passionate life and for that partner to have more understanding of the fact that his or her partner, their number one passion is wealth creation, brilliant. Let them live that and work out how it feeds your passions or how that partner can feed 
your top three passions. So I think what you've said is beautiful, that if there was less judgment that we had of others and we allowed people to live their their passions more authentically, what a different place it would be. I mean, I get judged a lot by men, but also other women about work being my number one passion. So when I speak about it, they're like, how can you come out and say that? And I said, because I authentically feel very aligned with saying that I feel that my purpose is absolutely to be a mum and to absolutely be a partner and I would do anything for my kids. But what I, th- there is a deeper passion that I feel in my life in terms of what I'm meant to do. It's not to say work will always come first. It's to say that I'm so aligned. I will work out ways to work around my kids. I will travel to go and learn. I will do whatever it takes to be able to achieve that passion, to be able to get my work out to people. And for some people, they get it and they go, oh, my God, thank goodness you've said it. And other people feel really in judgment of it because it pushes their buttons and their belief system so much because of the stories that they've been told and they believe that they must believe the passions of what their parents told them or what they have learned to believe rather than really test what their true passions are. I love that. Can you help me? suspend a little bit more judgment for the future. I, cause I have a belief and maybe this is what it is. It's just tied to my belief, but I believe that our health is our, our wealth. And when we nourish that area of our life, our, that passion, then all other areas will flourish from that because I, you know, and when I talk about health, I'm talking about not exercising. I'm talking about physical, mental, and emotional. So I'm talking about the mental and emotional aspects a lot too. So when I hear you talking about this and some of the discussions that we've had, I know there's a lot of your work is about mental and emotional well-being. So maybe it's that you, actually, this is a question too, do you draw that mental and emotional uplift in your life through your work and your business? Absolutely. And so, for example, if we, Brett, take the example of meditation and, you know, for people that meditate, some people do it to clear their mind. Their mind gets full and they do it. Some people do it for spiritual reasons. Some people do it so they can be more loving to their family. So you might do this art of meditation, but you want to link into why you do it. Which part of those seven areas of your passion does it fulfill? And so you want to get to the, to the roots of why you do that. Let's take the same example as you help out at a soccer club for your, for your child. You know, for some of you, you might do that because you feel like that's a giving of community and that's a spiritual purpose. Others do it because it actually helps you create friendships and it gives you that social interaction. Others might do it because they've believed that they're supporting their family. So there's no right or wrong about it. It's just that you want to get really clear about why you do what you do. I mean, I come across some people who aren't the most healthiest from a weight perspective, but my goodness, the energy that they have around their work or the energy that they have around their money or the energy that they have around their family is second to none. And to me, they are very, very passionate about in terms of living stuff because they're living according to their list of passions. Does that, did that make sense, the way that I explained that? Yes, definitely. Absolutely. And what do you say to people who don't believe then that being more passionate and more grateful will actually improve their lives? Because I'm sure that you come across resistance. Well, when the people are in resistance, they go, well, I don't want to change it. I'm like, well, don't fucking change it then. <laughs> why are we having this conversation about it? I mean, obviously, we're having this conversation because there's a pain point in your life that is not working. You keep putting stuff on your goal list that you're not achieving. Like I, one of the questions I ask Brett, if I'm presenting this particular model and say there's 300 people in the room, I say who this year said that health was going to be in their top three passions after I've explained the model and all these hands go up, usually more than 70% of the hands go up. And I say, now keep your hands up. If that was your passion, that was your goal last year and you didn't achieve it. Most of the hands stay up. Tell me if that was your goal the year before and you didn't achieve it. Most of the hands stay up. And I say to them, I've got fucking bad news for you. You're not going to achieve it. <laughs> You're not going to achieve it just because you write it down. You actually have to live it. So either stop writing it down and then beating yourself up because you keep thinking that unless you write this down and that something is wrong with you or work out how you're going to create mastery of that particular area in your life. And writing it down and constantly going, gee, I'm a terrible person. Gee, I feel guilty. Gee, I shouldn't have had that glass of wine. Gee, I wish I exercised more is, is madness, right? Either be really happy with it and knowing that for me it sits at number five or for some people it might sit at three or seven 
and be happy with it. But for you, you would have behaviors that you've created in your life for, for your health and well-being to be number one, right? Absolutely, I mean, yeah. Habits you, and behaviors uh, all align with that. I mean, you're sitting here speaking to me. Do you? What do you have on your desk outside of this conversation? Do you have water? Do you have tea? Do you have nuts? What do you have next to you? I have a glass of water with apple cider vinegar in it. Of course you do. <laughs> of course you do, right? Guess what and I've just finished my day. greens powder and uh, organic fruit before I spoke to you after fasting for half the day. <laughs> right. I've got a coffee next to me and it is delicious and I drink it with no qualms and talking about that openly. And, you know, I will have my five or six glasses of water and that is the, that is the difference. You're living what you're doing. Whereas for me, you know, I got up early at four, I punched out, some meditation, I did some stuff on my mind and I worked for an hour and a bit before my kids got up. And so we just live stuff differently. I am just as energized and excited about life because I'm living according to my passions. And I just say that to people, if, if you've got that pain in your life, if you're not happy with it, then do something about it and let me help you. Let me, let me just share this model with you that gets you clear about who you really are rather than who you think you should be. And if you don't like who you really are, then let's put some simple stuff in place to, to address that and, and love yourself just the way you are, knowing that you're doing your best. And if you get really clear about it and you realise that, you know, that friend that you're hanging out with, it's not really great for me, then let's take some actions about it. If you really don't like hanging out with your family but you do it every Sunday morning because that's your ritual and you don't really enjoy it, the energy that you give out and the lack of gratitude you will have in that moment they can feel that lack of gratitude. They can feel that lack of love. So why do you do things out of habit rather than do things that are really going to help you create a more passionate life? I love that. That's the brutal honesty and empowering them with the radical responsibility at the same time. Can you just explain for everyone listening, what's the difference between passions and values? Values are something that you live in terms of who you are. So for example, integrity for me is a value. If I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. If I say I'm going to be here on this podcast five minutes before it starts, then my value is that I have integrity. Now that's going to show up in a whole heap of different areas of passion of my life. So for example, if my number one passion is, is work, which it is, and my business, then one of the things that it needs, that I'm going to show up with that value in that, in that business. If I don't value something, that's not going to show up in those different aspects of my business. So passion is something that I choose to live. Passion is my fuel, I often say to people. Like a purpose, if you think about it, is my vehicle. So whether it's a car or a truck or a Jeep, whatever it is that you drive, the passion is my fuel. It's the stuff that fuels me to propel me to go forward. Values are the stuff that ground me. It's what's inherently in me. It's my root system that if I was a tree that grounds me into who I am, and passion is my fuel that really propels me to move forward. I love that. That's very clear. That's beautiful. And if, if people want to work on this model, how, what, what does your work look like? Are you only working in events? Are you doing online programs? How does it work for people to be able to, to work with you? We're just about to start a 12-week program online, which will be live calls with me on 12 areas. And this particular model is only one of those 12. So we'll then have covered this in detail, whether we then support through that whole 12 week journey for you in a group, as well as a one-on-one -on -one setting. And that program is going to be starting at the beginning of November. And all those details, Brett, on askshivani.com under mentoring. The other thing I do is I do some one-on-one -on -one consultations based on what people need. And there are some events that I speak at as well. And all those details are on the website. So that program, just for everyone listening, in case they're listening to this episode late, it's kicking off November 2019. And yes. is this, why have you taken it online? Is that in alignment with your, your passions or your purpose or your bigger visions and goals? What makes you, and I'm interested because I run online programs too, but I love the in-person impact and energy from people. I'm intrigued to know why, why have you branched into online programs? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I was just finding, Brett, that I was running out of time. And so people were saying, look, Shivani, can we fly you over to this place and such and such? And can you run some mentoring one-on-one -on -one with some of our team, which I've done for many years. But there were also a lot of individuals who wanted to have access to me, but weren't able to. 
So what I wanted to be able to do is make myself more accessible. Plus, we also looked at the last decade of why were people coming in? What were they asking for? And these 12 topics kept coming in over and over and over again. So I thought, why don't we actually make it simpler and cost effective rather than people flying me to different parts? It's not all pre-recorded. It's, it's going to be a live call, but if they can't get to it, they can get a copy of it. There's a little workbooklet. There's a bit of a self-paced mentoring program. There's some group mentoring in that group. And they join a small and intimate group of people that want to shift who they are. Beautiful. Love it. And you mentioned at the beginning too about the work that you do around empowering women and do you have any, anything you want to add around that and any goals or visions of your work that are in alignment with allowing you to, I know that on your website you say that one of your passions is to have girls in third world countries receive an education so they're able to work and be financially empowered and do not have to live a life of abuse and poverty. Brett, this takes us back earlier to our earlier conversation. I suffered abuse as a child and it wasn't until I kind of hit about 30, I had all these behaviours, avoidance, you know, some, some eating behaviours. I had a whole heap of these interesting behaviours which I didn't really understand till I really started to dive deep into the fact that I had been abused. And... My, a lot of, you know, I obviously saw different healers. I saw a psychologist. I saw a counsellor. I did lots of meditation work around it. But for me, my pivotal moment and, and was when I really decided that there was a reason that the abuse happened. And the abuse was to me a gift now. And when I got into the gratitude of why was it that this happened and what were my learnings and takings out of it, I realised that the reason that I had experienced this in this lifetime was that so that I could help other girls and other children not be abused. And if I hadn't experienced that myself, I couldn't be in gratitude about really working with others to help them around it. And, you know, you and I were talking about gratitude before. It's often from those really challenging times and when you can get the gratitude of that you realise that. So my gift in this, one of my gifts in this lifetime has been to experience that. And what I want to do is prevent that, you know, if I could create a world where not one child suffered any form of abuse, that would be a terrific, extraordinary world for me to help contribute to creating. And so I sit on the Barefoot College Board, which is a global board to try and educate young girls in third world countries. Mm -hmm. I sit on the Humankind Board, which does phenomenal work with an extraordinary woman who you have to meet and I have to introduce you to call Jacinta McDonald. And, you know, any sort of piece of work that I can do. So we take some of the profits from any of our businesses and try and contribute towards that. But if people are listening to it and they want to find that out, please ask me and I'm more than happy to link you into people and individuals and organizations that are doing some extraordinary work around that. Beautiful. It just made complete sense now why your work is your number one passion. Yeah. And when I link it into some of that spiritual purpose, what I realized was, you know, for many years I was like, I don't want to be commercial. I want to be spiritual and I want to, you know, teach people meditation and it doesn't matter. You know, money doesn't matter. And then I realized, oh my goodness, I've got this vehicle of work where I can actually take my beliefs and what I want to do around helping kids through my work. The more I talk about it through my work, whether it's my speaking or my mentor, the more I talk about it on this podcast, how cool a vehicle I've been given by the universe and why shouldn't I utilise that? So it took me a while, Brett, to get that bit right. But <laughs> when I did, I was able to, you know, jump on that vehicle and, and have that opportunity and, and that gratitude for you today to be able to talk about that. I can completely understand where you're coming from. Whilst I haven't experienced what you've experienced, I can hear the, the journey to acceptance and then through the acceptance, that realisation and that connection and alignment with, with your purpose and your passion like you just spoke about. It's very similar with my experience with adversity and, and hence why this podcast exists and hence why you and I have been connected by the beautiful Katrina. I can see it all lining up now. And I just wanted to actually just ask you if around forgiveness and acceptance, are they the same thing to you? Are they different? What's your sort of experience or your mindset around that? Well, my view of the world, and it's only my view of the world, my view of the world is when you can accept 
what happens to you and come to gratitude with it, then forgiveness automatically happens. And so when I can come to acceptance of why the abuse happens and be grateful for it, the forgiveness towards the people that harmed me or try to harm me automatically happens. I have found it difficult. For me, it's been difficult just to kind of sit there and go, come on, forgive this person. Or, And, you know, sometimes mm. it might be something really small like, you know, I've got an employee that's not doing the right thing at the moment. It's taking a lot of leave and putting some wrong things in rosters and it's not fun. I'm reacting to it. I'm not enjoying it and I'm a bit in judgment of it and I'm a bit cranky about it. And I'd be like, you know, you're not very grateful to this employee in my head. So I'm running all these little stories in my head. And so to sit in my mind for me, I'm not evolved enough, Brett, to sit there and go, okay, I send you love and light and I forgive you. But what I'm trying to do with this employee, and I haven't got there yet, so this may or may not be a good example, but what I'm trying to do with this employee at the moment is to sit there and go, okay, so I know that her sister recently passed away. I know that she's probably in a fair bit of pain. And you know this because I run another wellness business and I'm like, okay, so we're into wellness and that doesn't mean we accept bad behavior, that we accept the way that she's doing that, but, but part of her working here is not a coincidence. So maybe, you know, when people are in pain, they don't know what to do. So how do I, how do I construct a conversation with her that might help, you know, to say to her, you may be hurting and not judge that, yep, she is hurting. You may be hurting, but these behaviours aren't working for her. How do I have that little bit more empathy and that understanding for her that even though she's doing a few things, she's still here, you know, she's cried at work. And how do I have a bit more gratitude for the fact that she was rocking up? She hasn't curled into a ball and disappeared, which, you know, happens for many of us. How do I have that gratitude for her? And then when I start to feel through that, there's little bits of pockets of forgiveness that start to bubble. Whereas if I just sit there and try and forgive her, I can't because I'm going, well, this is shit. And, you know, she's not being a good employee and she's not keeping her end of the bargain and I'm just not evolved enough to do that. So that little process is kind of what I use to try and get me to having some empathy and an understanding and then getting to some gratitude for the, the little things she is doing and then that helps me construct a conversation about it. Did that... Did I say that the right way? Did that make sense? Before you said the word empathy, as you were explaining what the way you started to shift your mind around it and see things from her perspective, I wrote down empathy. I was going to bring that up, but you were obviously, you're, you're very aware that you needed to shift into empathy and that's what you're doing. And empathy is sort of the, the horsepower of emotional intelligence. And if we could all be more empathetic, then the world would probably run a little bit more smoothly, to be honest. So it makes it? complete sense what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. And I'm trying to, somebody challenged me the other day and they said, you know, what's your view of Donald Trump? And I went, and my little you know, story started to run through my head. <laughs> and they went, have you ever tried having empathy for him? And I was like, oh my God, now you're really challenging me. <laughs> so I, I don't have an answer on that, Brett, you know, yet. But, you know, it's right that if we just constantly just say he's wrong, she's wrong, they're wrong, and it's not about agreeing with the behaviour, but it's about having that little bit of empathy to go that they're running their story and they've got whatever they've got on. And if I can just get a little bit of a glimpse into that, if I can open a window, maybe not the whole door and the whole house, but if I could open a little part of a window, then maybe that'll start to get us to a point where we can either resolve it one way or another. Yeah, absolutely. I know exactly what you're saying. It's a real skill that we should all be working on a lot more. Now, Shivani, I could speak to you all day and there's a few things that popped up there that I, I could dive into and I know we could keep unpacking, but being mindful of time, we'll, we'll wrap things up. But before we do, I'd love to know from you, what's, what's three key take-homes that you want to leave with the listeners uh, from today, from your your life experiences and your beliefs, and like you say, your view of the world, what's three things that they can take action on to allow them to be more impactful in their lives? Absolutely. The, the number one action is between work, health, mind, money, family, friends, spiritual. And again, you can change those words to what you like. Get really clear on what your t top three are today. Where do you spend the most time and energy, whether you want to or not, whether you like it or not? where does a lot of your energy and time go today? So the first thing would be get clear on where you are. The second action would be if you're not happy with it, then let's do some things to shift it. And not, that's not going to come by just saying, yes, I'm going to you know, walk five times more. It's not as simple as that. It needs a deeper think and a deeper 
question. And if you've got questions around it, you know, the reason my website's called Ask Shivani, just ask me a question. I can send you a link to a website or just ask you one simple question and often that might resolve it. And the third thing is just don't feel guilty for the things that you are not mastering. You are not meant to master all seven areas of your life. If that was the case, then we would become the ultimate energy or for some people they might call it God. We are not, we are human beings. We can only do so much. So if you can let go of some of the guilt and if you can let go of some of the angst that you have around the things that you don't do well and focus on the things that you do do well and learn to do more of that and let some of that guilt go, then it will really help shift your life. Beautiful. I love that. And you mentioned your website there before, askshivani.com, and I'll link that up in the show notes as well. And people can find out more about your online program and everything else you're doing there. How can I and the listeners help you on your journey? If you've got people that you think that I need to talk to, if there's more things that you want to know about some of the charity work that I'm doing, or if you just listen to this and go, you know what, my friend, my sister, my boss, could really do with that, share this podcast with them. You know, the more we pay stuff forward, the more we share things and we're such in a sharing economy right now, you know, pass that forward. And if you do have any questions, you know, for me, I'm very fortunate that I get to really love what I do. And if I can help you sometimes by doing the simplest of things, I would love for you to lead a more authentic life. And if you want to share some of that with me in terms of how this may have shifted you, please do or ask questions if, if it hasn't yet. Shivani, you're a legend. You're a beautifully connected soul whose work is creating a kinder and more grateful world. Keep shining your passionate light to the world, my dear. Thank you so much, Brett, and I'm so grateful that you asked me to be on this and get the work out. I really appreciate you. There you go, legends. What a beautifully connected and passion-driven soul. Make sure you get really clear on where you want to spend your energy and then do the work. Be sure to jump on to askshivani.com and check out her new online program that she spoke about and all of her other work. You'll also find the links to her social media pages there and you can follow her on social media from her website. And as always, remember, this is your life journey, your life of impact.